So I, my name's Daniel. I'm be bringing the, the message today. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, get into the Word. So Lord Jesus, we thank you very much for uh, just the ability to gather together in your name. We thank you, God, for your spirit being here with us. And Lord, you have said over and over and over to all of us, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. And Lord, I pray that as I say what I believe you're saying, God, that you would touch every person and that you would reassure every person in this place, God, that you are with them. God, we pray that you would pierce through every lie of the devil, and God, that you would bring freedom and clarity. And God, I ask for myself, God, help me to, help me to say the right things. Help me to say only what you're saying. God, I ask that you would speak clearly through me now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, um, to, today to kick off this message, I want to share with you a dream that I had a few months back. I, I know that Tim, he's, he's get, sh- sh- I think he shared kind of a little bit of, he woke up from a dream and had a word. And I, a few months back, um, I, w- I, I had a really weird dream. So just try to stick with me on this, okay? It's going to be a little weird for all of us. But I had this dream, and this dream was like a hybrid of The Chosen, like the TV show about Jesus, and Jurassic Park. It was like and this mixture weird dream. And I, in the dream, was not actually doing anything. It was more of an observing dream. Like I was watching a movie or watching it unfold, except I was actually standing there on site. So I'm literally standing there, and I'm watching like this party with Jesus and his disciples, and they're having a good time, and the disciples are happy, and people are dancing, and things are going well. And then, but it's like we're in this park, Jurassic Park type thing, and we're, there's something that bad that has been unleashed. And you know how in Jurassic Park, things are going forward, and the good guys don't realize that the dinosaurs are getting loose because of all this stuff? That, that's, that was the feel. It was like the calm before the storm. And I knew it because I, I, I was just kind of in the, I knew what was going on in, in the show. And so I knew that something bad had been unleashed. Something bad had been, was coming. And that the disciples and most people had no idea what, what was about to come and hit them. So they're living their life doing well. But in this story, Jesus was there. And Jesus knew what was unleashed. Jesus knew something bad was going to come. Jesus, in this dream, knew something bad was going to happen. And because he knew, he had a plan. And he had uh, somehow, some way, had a way to work around what the enemy was trying to do. And I don't understand all that he was doing. There are parts of it that were vague. But the big idea was that Jesus, stick with me, Jesus gave one of his disciples, you know that flocking spray that you put on your Christmas tree? (laughs) He gave it to one of his disciples. He's like, I want you to go over there, and I want you to flock that tree. And so this disciple, but I I don't know what this disciple was given, but this disciple was given something secretive by Jesus, and Jesus wanted to give it to this disciple, and the disciple was supposed to hide it and not let the enemy find out that he had it because this was how Jesus was going to go around their plan. Does this make sense? Maybe. You guys are like, no, no, you lost me at flocking spray. Okay, well, we're gonna try, I'll try to break it down as much as I can. But the big idea is I watched this disciple go off, and he was flocking in this tree, but actually the flocking of the tree was a decoy. He was actually supposed to secretly, covertly hide something that Jesus had given him. And there were two bad guys that were literally following him around in the woods. And they were trying to figure out what Jesus had given this man. And then they were trying to steal it. And so the course of this dream goes on. And this man, who is a disciple, hides whatever it is that Jesus gave him. And then... Jesus, in the show, in the dream, he dies. And then his disciples were in a modern-day apartment, wearing modern-day clothes, and they're in this apartment, and the disciples are really upset. Jesus is dead, everything's fallen apart, and we're doomed. But the disciple that hid what Jesus gave him 
was not discouraged. They were not worried. They actually had a smile on their face. And while everybody else was depressed and discouraged and weary because things had fallen apart, that one disciple who had hidden what Jesus gave him had a smile on his face. And they said, why are you smiling? Do you know something that we don't know? And the sense, of course, is we know that Jesus in real life was resurrected. And so that, it was, it was kind of like this hybrid of the Bible story in a modern-day situation. And so I, I spent some time praying about this dream and asking God, like, God, what does this dream mean? And I feel like the Lord gave me a very clear interpretation that what he gave that disciple was his word. He gave him a promise. He gave him a word from God that would be a promise that he could hold on to. And as long as the disciple kept that word, hid that word, and kept it from being stolen but from, by the bad guys, that that disciple would have joy when nobody else had joy. That disciple would have peace when everybody else was in turmoil. Now, we know in our current situation, we know what happened back in the story of Jesus on the cross. And, you know, the disciples were upset. The disciples were sad. The disciples had lost all hope and were scared. But we know the rest of the story. We know something that the disciples didn't grasp because we're living on this side of the resurrection. So because we know the reality of what happened, we would say to the disciples, guys, stop falling apart. It's going to be okay. Jesus is going to come back from the dead. It's all going to be good. But in our modern day life, we are kind of in that in-between state just like the disciples. Because God has given his word, which is the Holy Scriptures, but he's also given us words, promises. What he, so we have what God has said, and we have what God is currently saying. And I believe today that it's extremely important that we hide God's word in our heart. Utterly, utterly essential. If we do not hide what God has given and keep it from being stolen, then we will be like the disciples were for those few days. What if I told you that our future is better than our present and that our future is better than our past? What if God gave you a word and that word was to help carry you through the storm? Jesus tells the disciples, I am going, <clears throat> sorry, I want you guys to go across, we're going to go across the sea. And we all know that they had a massive storm. And in that storm, they wondered if they would ever live to, to, to see land again. They didn't really know if they would make it across the sea. But you see, when Jesus says, you're going across, it's because you're going across. When Jesus says, you're going through, it's because you're going to make it through. But in this time and in this season, the devil wants to steal hope. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your smile. And how can he do that? By stealing God's word. By stealing it. Now, what's so interesting to me is the way God designs things. God designs things and he creates ecosystems. You know, if you go out into nature, whether it's trees or, you know, shrub or whatever, rivers, there's an ecosystem and this bug does this and this fish affects all this other, you know, fish. And you just kind of see this ecosystem that how they all balance and they all work things out. And then when you begin to look at things like chemistry and physics and biology, you begin to see, oh, there's a system. This is how blood works. This is how gravity works. This is how DNA works. 
And we understand that there are natural laws that we build our lives around. And hopefully you're not just jumping off of buildings and thinking that you can fly because you can't. Why? Because gravity matters. And in the same way, there's a spirit world. There's a spiritual realm. And a lot of times, we are fighting against an unseen force. We are fighting uh, an entirely different dimension that is literally superimposed on our dimension. There is another reality, there is another dimension where there is a spiritual war going on. And so we as people want it to be like, you know, like, you know, PBS, like Sesame Street. We want everything just to kind of go a certain way, but that's not the reality because there's an ecosystem. There's a spiritual reality. And if you fight against that spiritual reality, you're going to be banging your head against the wall the rest of your life. Now, you might be a Christian. You might have asked Jesus to come into your life, and that is a great idea because that's how you get saved, is by making Jesus Lord of your life. But just because Jesus is Lord of your life doesn't mean you understand the ecosystem you're living in. Just because you attend church here and there and are a good person doesn't mean life's going to work for you. And you might find yourself in certain dynamics, in certain situations, not winning in life because you don't understand the rules. You don't understand that God lifts up humble people, but he has to oppose prideful people. Like, that's a rule. That's a law. Like, Pastor Tim last week talked about this idea. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do you think that that is hocus pocus? I know it sounds weird to a lot of us who are like, let me get this straight. I'm an educated American. I understand science. You're telling me that if I will speak death over a plant, I can kill it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You guys are like, okay, we need to find a new church. No, no, listen, that's what the Bible says. Some of us complain and complain and speak death and speak death, and you think, God, where are you? And God's like, trust me, you're killing yourself. Stop saying such bad things about you. Stop saying such negative things about your health. Your body is following the ecosystem of this reality. There is a spiritual world. People say, Jesus, well, yeah, Jesus, really, but God, God in a general sense, created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? With a pitchfork, right? He got out there and he just started working. No, there was nothing. And then there was something. I know people look at Christians like, you're stupid. You believe there was nothing. And then all of a sudden there was something. Well, that's what the Big Bang teaches. The Big Bang teaches there was nothing. There was no time. There was no matter. There was no energy. What was the fourth thing? We know their science. They say matter, time, energy. Is it space? Maybe. I, I forget. I'm a, little sli- I'm a little slapper. That wasn't prepared. You can tell. So, but the big idea, there was a time when there was no time. There was a time when there was no matter. This is all science. This is what, this is what they believe because it's actually true. There was a time when all of a sudden time, matter, space, energy erupted out of nothing, and that's science. So when I say that God spoke, and when the scriptures say God spoke, we really shouldn't be having any problem with this because a superior reality, a superior dimension spoke into existence this dimension. And so time is a created thing, and God lives outside of time. And so we have an ecosystem Hopefully I'm really not losing you guys between flocking Christmas trees and scientific things. I'm, you guys, wake yourself up. We get, we're going to get alert here. So <laughs> there's an ecosystem that you can't just speak words of death and expect your life to go well for you. It is not hocus pocus. It is scripture. 
If you speak what God says, it will change everything in your life. If you believe what God says, this ecosystem requires faith. God may love you to pieces, but it's faith that will move mountains. It's a reality. Jesus, this is my personal opinion. When Jesus walked the earth and he healed people, raised the dead, you know, threw fish in a boat, I believe that Jesus has always wanted to do that. But he knew how to do it. Does that make sense? He understood the spiritual laws the spiritual dimension, and he knew how to take the Father's will and bring it into reality by hearing what the Father said, by speaking what he saw the Father doing. Jesus has a will for your life, but Jesus is not making sure everything in your life goes the way he wants, in a sense, in a sense that, that could be misunderstood. But what, I'm, what I want you to see is that we have to partner with God and with the laws of a superior reality and a superior kingdom where we will find ourselves struggling in this one. And a lot of us are struggling. And let me tell you, I don't want you to feel bad because I'm right there with you. I, I've, had a, I've had my own week. I've had my own problems. So I'm not... Not, we're all in this together. But the reality is, is we're all imperfect people that God loves very much, and he is making us more and more like Jesus, but he is like a parent teaching us how to walk. Like a parent teaching, you know, when you got a baby and you smile at that baby, you're teaching that baby how to experience joy and emotion. When you talk to that child, you are teaching that child English or whatever language you may be speaking. But you, you and I, God, God doesn't just go and do things the way we think he should. God has a process, and he has realities. And these realities are, hey, just like a child is born, a child has got to learn how to eat, and to talk, and to walk, and to do math, and to drive a car. Like, these are, that's the way God made it. And in the same way, when you're born again, you don't have a clue what you're doing. We do not understand, but we can learn. Faith is a huge part of the ecosystem. Our words, huge part of the ecosystem. But God's word, the power of God's word, is essential for this ecosystem. You cannot live a successful Christian life if you do not value and learn how to apply God's word to your life. Many in this room are like many in our nation that do not know the scriptures, that do not know God's voice, and your life is still struggling. Now you have learned by the Holy Spirit's mercy through maybe your own parents in your life how to learn how to live in this ecosystem that we do unto others that we want them to do to us. You've, when you do that, you learn this ecosystem. And some of you have learned, if I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, eventually God's going to raise me up. Some of you have learned that in this ecosystem, if I cry out to God, God's going to hear me. And if I just keep crying out, God's going to hear me. So we have learned different elements of this ecosystem. But I just want to encourage you today to see the word of God like you've never seen it before. Because I believe, I believe the Lord told me that today as I'm preaching, there might be things that I say that you already know. But I believe that spiritually some, something is going to fall off of some people today. I believe a burden and a weight and a heaviness is going to fall off some people. Because those who hide God's word in their heart will keep their joy up. Those who truly are hiding God's word will have a smile on their face. I'm not saying you don't have your moments. But I'm just saying, I think that God's word is more powerful than I think. 
than Daniel Mary. Like, I know I'm telling you this, but I, I believe the Lord is telling us, and especially me, Daniel, you don't understand how much power is in my word. My word can create worlds. My word can create beings. My word can create oceans and ecosystems. Do you understand the power that you hold that you oftentimes neglect? And so I want to look at Joshua chapter 1. This is a kind of a famous passage of scripture. It's not going to be on the screen. I am sorry. This one was hot off the press. You don't get PowerPoint today. So if you have a Bible or Bible on your phone, you can pull it out because there's going to be a decent amount of reading of this passage. Joshua chapter 1. Now, to set this up, I want you to understand, the first five books of the scripture were written by Moses. So, up until that era, there was God's word. But, as far as humanity was concerned, there was no written word. Moses was given the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, and you know the, the following ones. And these, these scrolls were God's word for humanity, these writings. And so that's the first time that humanity had ever experienced what God said in written form. So Joshua is taking command of the nation of Israel. Now, Pastor Tim kind of talked a little bit about this last week concerning Caleb. Caleb and Joshua were both kind of the leaders that were going into their inheritance, into their promised land. Moses sinned, the other people sinned, so they all had to die before they could enter into their promised land. So Joshua is assuming the command of over a million people. And in that time of, of the great Moses, who has seen God face to face, has now died, and now Joshua has to accomplish what Moses failed to do. So in verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, Go over this Jordan, that's the river, you and all this people to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. So everywhere you walk, that's your land. I'm giving it to you. Verse four. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites into the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. We'll stop there for just a moment. That is a word for each, each of us. The reality is, God will be with you. If you get nothing else, know that you're not alone. God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He has an inheritance for you. God has a destiny in mind for you. To reach that destiny, you have to believe some things. You have to believe that it's yours. That what God promises you belongs to you. And then you have to believe that God's going to be with you. Because God being with you is going to sustain you. When you know that he's standing alongside you, you can go through some difficult things. But I want you to see this here. This is God kind of exhorts him like, be a you know, real man talk right here. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong 
and very courageous. That's a big idea. I believe the Lord is speaking to us prophetically. Be strong. Be courageous. Why? Because you're going to need it. Right now, there are a lot of things going on. And I'm talking about the little things in our lives. I know that for me, I like to avoid pain. And I like to avoid things that I'm not good at. And I like to avoid things that I'm scared of. And there's a lot of little things. Maybe it's making a phone call. Maybe it's putting yourself in a vulnerable place. Like God is stirring, I believe, his people to obtain what he has for you. And a lot of us are held back by fear. And I don't know any other way around this. God will fight your battle in a sense for you, but God can't really fight the battle for you if you and I shrink back. There has to be this fire in our bones that just says, I'm going to make the call I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to do what I'm scared to do. And I don't know about you guys, but some of the things that scare me don't scare other people. So what happens to me a lot is I feel like an idiot getting psyched out about things that nobody else gets psyched out about. I, as a pastor... I get around other pastors, and I don't know if they're really all this bold and confident, but they always, they always act like they got it all together. They all act like they know what they're doing. And I get, I remember the first time I did communion. Oh my gosh, I was so scared. I was like trying to go up there and remember the order. Like there's the bread first, and then there's the juice, and then you gotta, and I'm like trying to quote it. But the problem is, is there's, it's like in the Bible, like four or five times. And they all say it a little bit different. So I can't just quote one of them. They all quote the Lord's communion differently. So I had to like mentally work through how I would like try to quote all of them fluidly. And I like tried to memorize it. And I remember the first Sunday I came up here and I was talking to the worship team. And one of the guys on the worship team said, hey, this isn't our first rodeo. And I said, it's my first rodeo. I'm scared. I'm scared. And maybe... You say, Daniel, yeah, you need to get over that. But the thing is, is that there are things in our lives that other people are, don't psych them out, but it takes great courage out of us. And I want to just encourage you, don't let your weakness cause you to be like, oh, I just suck again. But rather, just understand, you were given strengths and weaknesses by God, to help you fulfill your purpose, to enter into your destiny. You have a destiny, and it includes your weaknesses, because your weaknesses cause you to rely on God's strength. If you weren't weak, you wouldn't need God. So God purposefully hardwired weakness into you. And I wish it wasn't so. But I just want to encourage you to be very strong, Like, not just throughout your whole life, but in this day and in this time, prophetically, be very strong, be very courageous, because in this season, it matters. Verse 7, he goes, be strong, be courageous. Why? He goes, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. So he goes to say here, be strong and courageous. Don't go left, you know, you know why? To do everything Moses told you to do. It takes courage to obey. It takes courage to obey. Our greatest struggle is, is you know, we oftentimes feel like it's the, our lack of knowledge. But a lot of times our struggle is our lack of obedience, is our lack of response to what we know. And so God here 
is speaking to him, and he's saying, do what is written in my word. The law, that's the first five books that Moses was talking about. That law that Moses gave you, you need to do it. And to do what God says will require courage. In verse 8, it says, God says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want to look again at verse 8, because I believe this is kind of the, the key point of this whole passage. This book of the law, he's talking about their scriptures. The first five books of the Bible shall not depart from your mouth. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, you don't need to just read my word. You need to say my word. When you read the scriptures, there, I, I read both ways, but I believe there is a grace in reading out loud the scripture. It needs to come off of your mouth. And I think it works the same. I, I think it creates... You know, I talked about death and life are in the power of the tongue. I believe that there is a power in saying out loud God's word. And there are some scripture verses that you're going to come across. And when you read those verses, they're going to be life for you. And when God speaks a promise to you, that promise is going to be life to you. But you have to say it out loud. You need to declare it over your reality. If God gave you a word that he's going to provide for you and that you're going to be well-to-do, and then all of a sudden you get all these bills, you need to speak what God said over your finances. If God gives you a word that you're going to have a great marriage and that you and your spouse are going to change the world, but then you start to have marital issues, you need to come back to what God said and hide that word and declare it and speak it over your marriage. If you have a word that your kid has a destiny, and, and they all do, just so you know, but you get a word about what their destiny is, and then that kid starts being dumb, you need to start declaring over that three-year-old or that 13-year-old or that 23-year-old what the word of the Lord is. Because the word of the Lord creates. It causes things that do not exist to become. God calls things that are not as though they are. He takes what he says, speaks it into reality. He says, if you say what I'm saying, we'll make this happen. If you say what I'll say and stop saying what the devil's saying, we will see this whole thing turn around. This book shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That does not mean empty your mind and make weird noises. No, that is not... It's nothing like the Eastern meditation. It is getting that word and chewing on it, thinking on it, processing it, you know? And sometimes it's just a matter of just reading it, and then you find that verse or you find that thought, or maybe God spoke something to you a long time ago. Did you write it down? Did you put it in your phone? I have an aunt that when she comes across Scripture verses that, are life-giving to her, she'll take a picture of it on her phone. So when stuff starts happening, she scrolls through her pictures and she looks at all the scriptures that God's been saying. It's a genius idea. We get God's word into our heart, into our soul, and, and it's crazy to me how, uh, I don't have enough time to really go into a lot of this, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the human brain. I'm fascinated by the way neurons work and the way that your brain literally changes based off your decision making and that your brain can grow by the decisions you make or it can actually, um, you can do brain damage to your brain by doing too much multitasking. You can actually cause brain damage. 
So we have a lot of diagnosis in our country, but the reality is, is a lot of it is simply what we're doing to our brain. If you're constantly playing video games, or if you're constantly on your phone, or you're constantly uh, watching the news, or if you're constantly partnering with anxiety, or you're constantly thinking about what could go wrong with your life, what you're actually doing is you are creating highways in your brain, and you are actually changing the shape and the structure of your brain. You are molding your mind to think a certain way. I want you to think this morning, how many of you, now, things might be a little bit different because we've been out in a tent for a couple of months, but I want you to think about where you're sitting right now. How many of you are sitting in the exact same seat that you sat in six months ago? Why do you think that is? Your brain has been hardwired. The decisions that you make cause highways in your brain. And your brain wants to take the shortcut. You walk into this building and you're like, where do I sit? Where do I sit the first time? And you made a decision. And when you walked in there, you took that seat and your brain says, okay, we're gonna build a pathway. This is where we're gonna sit. When we walk into this environment, we're gonna go right here. So then you come in on your second Sunday and your brain, without thinking, without even trying to make a decision. You made a decision once, and you are stuck in that decision. I'm not, you know, you know it's true. You, you, the first day you had to decide, the second week you just sat right down without even thinking about it. Some of you don't even know how you got here because you were an autopilot. You were having a conversation on the way to church, and you, it's a miracle of God that you got here. Why? Because you have passageways. You have hardwired your brain. Now, the first time you came here, you probably had to follow directions. But once you make a decision in your life, you create pathways in your brain. And so we live our lives making these decisions. In fact, I can't remember now because I, I, I have an article that I looked up a while back. But literally, it's like we, we make like, I could, you, you can fact check this. I'm not sure if this is right. But I, I think it's like over 100,000 decisions a day. It's in the thousands, I know that. It's ridiculously high. How many decisions the average human being makes every day? When to get out of bed? When to go to the bathroom? When to brush your teeth? When to eat breakfast? What to have for breakfast? It is absolutely as astronomical, the decisions. You would almost get overwhelmed if it wasn't automated by the way you've hardwired your mind. So that is why... When it gets to be around 8.30, you start thinking, oh, I want chips and salsa. Why? Because that's what you've trained your mind to do. At least that's what I've done sometimes. It's like, oh, my brain's like, hey, it's time. You, we're, we're in an ecosystem. And this is why I want you to see this. In verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Why? Because as you meditate on it, and as you actually do what the scriptures say, it's going to re wire your brain. Why? Because he says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. It doesn't say that God will make the way. It doesn't say that God will cause everything and everyone to kind of go. No, no. This is how God's reality works. God's reality works differently than we want it to. God's reality is, is if you get into my word, I will reprogram your mind. I will change the shape of your mind. People who are addicts, their brains look differently than people who are non-addicts. If they scan it, they can tell the difference. So what decisions we make program our brain. And when our brain is programmed, we make decisions subconsciously and consciously. So you may know God's word, but if you don't follow it, it's going to mess with the programming. Literally. When you make decisions and you act on what you believe, it will create new passageways and it will make it easier for you to follow God next time. But if you make the choice that you're not going to do what God says, then that will actually affect the way your brain processes next time. 
So some of us, well, all of us, have an ecosystem. And that ecosystem is built off of the way we have hardwired our brain. And the way we have hardwired our brain is affecting our subconscious choices, which is causing our circumstances to follow suit. Why do I always marry the wrong guy? Why does life not work for me? Why does it seem like I'm always dealing with the same people or the same problem or the same circumstances? But God says, listen, I know that I've told you a million times to get in my word. But I want you to know how this works. You get God's word in your heart, and you hide it. And that will guard your heart from discouragement. It is a battle. I'm not, I, I have had to wrestle through my own unbelief, my own weariness. God, is that ever going to happen? God, where are you? And a lot of times, we just desperately want God to do it for us. But the reality is Joshua and Caleb did not go into the promised land because, how do we say this, with God fighting all their battles. They had to actually use their own weapons. They had to go and stab people. (laughs) Yeah, it's in church. They had, God fought with them, but they had to do the work. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to make your way prosperous. He wants you to become something. Just like a child learning to walk, learning to eat, learning math, God wants you and me to learn his ways. Because as we learn his ways, as we learn his ecosystem, this can get a lot easier for us. This can get a lot easier if we will actually honor God's word. Let me ask you this question. Have you been honoring God's word? Like, when you read it, have you been honoring it? Do you believe that God's word has the power to affect your destiny, your family, our nation? I want you to, I know... I know we don't have a lot of time, but I want to kind of land on a passage of Scripture out of Matthew chapter 13. I wish I could go and, and uh, talk about all the nitty-gritty details, but in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uh, gives a passage about four soils, and the big idea is that each of the four soils represents four different kinds of people. Each of those soils represents four different kinds of hearts. And I'm always blown away by this reality that he talks about how God's word is a seed. And God's word, like a seed, is planted into the soil of people's hearts. And only one of the four actually succeeded. Three out of four different kinds of people took the word of God, which has the power to create the universe, and they let it go south. And I don't have time to go into all of this, but I'll briefly say the first one, their heart was hard, and the birds came, swooped down, and took that seed and ate it. And that's what the enemy is trying to do in some of your hearts. He wants you to not even let God's word get into your heart. He is trying to keep you from absorbing his word. But the second kind is the rock. And you have this thin layer of soil, and then you have this massive layer of rock underneath. And so for some of us, God's word is getting into us, and it's, it's kind of grown up a little bit, but we're not making space for God's word to get deep into the soil. And because of that, we wither away when things get hard. 
In fact, Jesus says, I want to look Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 20. It says, but he who received the seed, that's God's word, on stony places, that's their heart, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for only a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. If you have your Bible in front of you, look at verse 21. This person, I would call them probably a Christian. They have no root. They have no root system. Why? Because when tribulation comes, when persecution comes, they stumble. But I want you to see this. It says that for those, it's, why does it say the tribulation or the persecution came? It said because of the word. When God gives you a word, it actually comes with it spiritual warfare. This is why when I ask God for direction on where I want to go on vacation, or where he wants me to go on vacation, I, God oftentimes will keep it very vague about where I'm supposed to go. Because the more clearly he speaks to me, the greater the warfare. Does anybody get what I just said? Did that just blow your mind? Listen, if you had an open vision and an angel shows up in your house and he tells you the word of the Lord, that will come with much more warfare than a little impression on Sunday morning. So a lot of times we want, God, speak loud and clear. And God's like, actually, I'm going to keep it subtle because the, the greater I reveal my word, the greater your tribulation. So we're like, God, speak to me loud and clear. And God's like, just read my word. But God, I want something more powerful. And God's like, listen, if you read my word, you'll get the same thing and you'll be protected because the spiritual warfare will not be as great. So you need to understand, God wants to talk to you and we want to hear from him. But it will bring spiritual warfare. Verse 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. I want you to see, guys, God's word can be choked. God's word can cause a mountain to exist. God's word can create matter. God's word can create time. But... God's word can be choked by every one of us in our lives. I want you to see the power of God and actually the power that you and I have. If you and I will partner with God's word, we'll be like the person in verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I want to just look at this. The person in verse 22, what choked out God's word out of the Christian? The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. I cannot tell you how many people I have watched over the years allowed money to choke out their love for God. They let God's word get choked out. What does that mean? I don't have time to read my Bible, Daniel. I don't have time to hear God's voice. Why don't you? Think about it. I'm asking you, think about it. Why don't you have the time to read God's word? What does that look like for you? Is it because you love sleep too much? Is it because you're staying up till three in the morning? Is it because you have a hobby that is literally choking out the power of the universe in your life? I don't want anybody to feel bad, but what if this actually changed your life? 
Because the way you view God's word will determine how you read God's word, which will determine its power in your life. Two people can read the same Bible. One person can be transformed. The other can be a religious hypocrite. Reading the Bible will not change your life. But meditating on it, absorbing it, making time for it, obeying it, being courageous to do whatever God is putting in you and in his word. And then you hide that baby and you hold on to that thing when you go through hell and you go through high water and it will come. It will come. You're welcome. But it will change your life if you learn God's ecosystem. You guys need to stand up or I'm just going to keep talking. (laughs) I don't want anybody to feel bad. But I really want us to have a value. When you're reading, even Leviticus, there's power in that. There is power in that. And if you will accept it, you will get more out of it. And if you will obey it, you will get more out of it. And then you will make your way prosperous. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much that your word is what we need. And God, I just pray that some way, somehow, you would give us the grace to change. God, I pray that you would upgrade our our prayer life and our Bible life and our faith life. And God, that you would teach us your ways that we can walk in your truth. And Lord, I pray that you would get a grip on us so we can get a grip on you, God. God, I pray that you would give great grace to do.